Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to open up a broad conversation of questions that you have, John, that are going to take us in a lot of different directions on a lot of different episodes. What's that whole big container of things like? What are we, where are we going? Yeah, we're, we're entering the, the realm of, uh, of the relationship between <laughs> Christians and non-Christians. So... Uh, whether or not Christians should watch Game of Thrones and demonic horror movies and whether they can believe in evolution and whether uh, we can, you know, go to bars, you know, just things like this. Okay. And today in particular, because that's a lot of ground to cover, today we're going to talk about uh, how much Christians should value or devalue the wisdom, knowledge, experiences of non-Christians. Okay, so like should they get their advice only from other Christians kind of thing? Right, yeah. Do you need a Christian mechanic? Uh, gotcha. Do you need a, a Christian marriage counselor? You know, then, you know, stuff like that. Right. I personally, I if you can't tell, I chose this topic because uh, a lot of these are coming right from my head. I've, I challenge, or I, I am challenged by this stuff uh, pretty often. But before we dive into it, it is story time and or joke time. Uh, how we start every week, and it yeah. is Dad's turn. <clears throat> I forgot about the possibility of a joke. I should have thought about that. I have a story I want to tell. <laughs> I think it's you better stick with stories. <laughs> I think that's safer for everybody. You think my jokes are dangerous? I, they're not safe. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Did I tell a dangerous joke? No, I mean, not on not on the air. You didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so my story today is about actually about our family reunion. Um, last summer, um, mm. this summer we did a family vacation, didn't go last summer, a big group of our family went down to Texas for the lad family reunion, which is a big, big deal. And, uh, I have three siblings and it's so it's, it's my mom and then my three siblings and all of our families. So, um, this family reunion has been going on since I was born. It used to be way bigger. You know, when mm. I was a kid, we would go and there would be you know, 120 people there. And, and we went to this when we lived in Colorado for a long time, right? We would drive down to Texas. Yeah. Well, that was 4th of July at my brother's house oh, okay. Okay. for all the fireworks right, and his right. lake property and stuff. That was a different thing. We okay. actually had not been to a family reunion in a long time. You had been when you were little. Gotcha. But we hadn't been in a long time. And so we decided to rent this house down there by the lake and go to the family reunion. And um, I had not been around my siblings as a group for a while, let alone their kids. Hmm. So I had seen some of them as I visited Texas. I'd pop in and see, but but the sure. but the four of us had not been together since my stepdad's funeral, which happened to be earlier that year, and that was our first time in a long time. Yeah, I bet. So um, we really did some reconnecting. It was a lot of wonderful p- things. What I wanted to tell the story from is late on. So the family reunion is Father's Day weekend every year. Okay. And so I feel like I remember at least one of these. Yeah. And I got terribly sick on the way there. That's how, that's why I hate Ikea. Oh, really? Yeah. If you ever, you got sick at Ikea on the way to a family reunion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call foul because I don't think there was Ikea anywhere around when you went to these family. Reunions. This is for another time, but we were driving to Texas and we <laughs> went to the Milner's house and then we went to an Ikea. 
On the far from Dallas. We were in Texas technically, but we okay. were still a ways out. And I well, got sick at one of those places, but my hatred belongs solely to it. It does, and it's those Swedish meatballs. Somehow you got a sideways Swedish meatball, or it, it affected you, and now you can't shake your childhood trauma. And you hate Ikea, and you hate food at Ikea, and you don't <laughs> want to go to Ikea. I bet if you sat on an Ikea chair, you would have a Swedish meatball reaction. You know, I I think that that's not the case, <laughs> but my heart doesn't know that. Right. And I, yeah. Yeah. This is for another time. Keep going. It is, with your but story. you mentioned our friend Tom, who hates cheese. It's a kind of yeah. a similar deal. When he was a kid, he ate some cheery, uh, some um, what are those uh, little uh, spaghetti noodle circles in a can? Spaghettios. Oh, he ate some spaghettios and threw up, and that cheese smell taste in his in his throw up. There's no cheese in spaghettios. Well, it smells like cheese when you throw it up. <laughs> but there's no cheese in there. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. And and I just said, I bet you threw up SpaghettiOs once. And he said, hey, you know, don't knock it. But he had some kind of a cheese throw-up experience as a kid. And other than cheese on a pizza, he will not eat cheese ever. I knew that. I didn't know it was because of SpaghettiOs. Well, my, I, I think SpaghettiOs because he didn't correct me when I said that. But the point is he had a childhood experience like yours that rather than mature and grow out of and put in its proper card catalog spot in your life it continues to affect you so there's probably some hypnosis therapy we could get you yeah that would cure that to be clear i don't get <laughs> nauseous when i look at ikea furniture and <laughs> you know I'm see how i okay. see, see what i did there i talked about hypnosis therapy to help you because we're going to talk about can non-christians help us yeah, should you go so, to a Christian hypnotist or a non-Christian <laughs> hypnotist? <laughs> but we get ahead of ourselves. I was trying to tell a story before I was so rudely interrupted. Oh, whatever. So uh, so we're at this family reunion, and I believe it was Saturday night. The, mm. the reunion is Friday evening, Saturday all day, Saturday night, big giant horseshoe tournament. You know, lots of fun. And then uh, Sunday you know, morning, everybody starts packing up, and they're done. Well, Saturday night... Um, one of our family members lost his wallet. Mm. And we realized that at about midnight. Yikes. When we got back to the house we were staying in because we weren't camping. Everybody else is camping there. Yeah. So we go back to the campgrounds to try to find this wallet, a needle in the haystack at this state park. No kidding. He had been midnight. all over the state park. It's dark. And John, I was blown away. Every member of that family my nieces, my nephews, their spouses, their kids, as soon as they realized what we were doing, they they hopped up. They had been sitting around enjoying each other, talking, getting ready for bed, swapping stories. As soon as they knew we were looking for that wallet, all of them stopped what they were doing. Some of them moved their vehicles and shined headlights so we could see more grass. All of them grabbed flashlights. It was like we were Man. searching for a lost child. Holy smokes. And I could not believe their kindness, their care about this situation. I was I was just moved hmm. by their commitment to each other and their commitment to us. And when we had been, you know, really in a gap for so long, that's what that's what uh, made me feel loved is they weren't they didn't put me in a different relational box because I had been distanced for a while. Sure. And I just, I wanted to tell that story because it, it, it profoundly impacted me at how amazingly kind and loving and generous and good these people are. Hmm. I'm really proud of my extended family. And that was a, that was just a powerful moment. That's great. 
Yeah. That's that's a different variety of story than we normally tell. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, my, my heart is warmed. Did he find the wallet? Your heart is warmed. Well, this is the funny thing. No, we did not find the wallet until the next morning after we all lost sleep. And did he not a, lose the wallet? He did not lose it. It was in a bag that that I'm not going to name who it was, but he <laughs> said that he had searched that bag. Hmm. And it was in that bag in the morning. Well, so it could be a Festivus miracle and the wallet magically reappeared because Jesus put it in there or more likely he just didn't see it. No harm, no foul. You learned that your family really loves you. And it was uh, awesome. They didn't just love me. They loved, they loved all of us. They yeah. loved our kids and they, they just, they just were kind. And the thing is they were that kind all the time hmm. sharing with each other making sure nobody's going hungry. Does anybody need anything? They just were open-handed and generous. I, I, I don't know why it impacted me so much, um, except that I think that thing's kind of rare. Well, I, if you're anything like me, I might not care so much that you're missing your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Hope exactly. You find it. Yeah. Good luck. I got a flashlight. You want to borrow it? But yeah. I'm not going to carry it around and help you. I'll give you a quick prayer on my. Well, way this is out what we're sleep. realizing is we're just such you know turds. Yeah, lazy, that, selfish. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what moved us. It's not that maybe the whole world is that kind, and you and me are the only ones that aren't. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Lazy Selfish Podcast with your, your host Jim and John. <laughs> Uh, how to be a Christian and live for Jesus and remain selfish yeah, at the same time. And never have to get out of your lazy boy. We might be experts on that. Man. That's sad. I'm feeling really convicted. We should move on to something that's yeah. talking about other people. Ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get the spotlight off of ourselves. And, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, shine it on someone else. But it's a real good conversation. I know you've been thinking about this. From the day we started talking about doing a podcast together, mm-hmm. this was a conversation you wanted to have, and we haven't had it yet. Yeah. So tee it up, because I'm, I'm still not exactly sure what you're asking me. Okay, so uh, some background. Up until recently, I had the struggle of uh, of not the, not confidence in what I believe, but portrayal of that confidence, I guess, if that makes sense. So like... Um, as far as the world is concerned, um, you should not, uh, claim your, what you believe to be true is the truth more so than what other people believe to be true. You know what I'm saying? That's not culturally acceptable. Exactly. For you to be like, well, actually I know that my, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. To say, well, what I believe is true and what you believe is not true. And, and, you know, one of the things about that conversation um, that is always interesting to me is people say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe is just that you sincerely believe it. Mm. And you can be sincerely wrong. You know, there were times where I was <laughs> sure I parked my car in lot B12 mm. and I'm over there in B12 searching around. And my car is over there in F10. And I was sincerely wrong. Yeah. But the this belief that you can't criticize anybody else's belief system. Because they're sincere. Yeah, and not even criticize, just in in how how certain you can you are allowed to oh, be. Okay, yeah. And um so I felt pretty certain, but not in the way that um uh, how should I word I guess in the way that I can say that this is factual. You know, so faith faith right. in a, in in essence is I believe this, not that this is 
true, if that makes sense. Well, so this is a good point. You know, this is a good place to insert. We're going to have, we're going to have some disclaimers throughout this podcast. I'm Mm -hmm. certain because the subject is so, um, touchy, touchy and, um, um, nuanced. So, um, God is a huge being. Mm -hmm. His intelligence, no one can fathom. His ways are beyond our understanding. If God is so small that your three pounds of brain can figure him out and know for certainty what God is like, Mm -hmm. then your God is too small. So while we say there are some things we feel certain about, it is also smart for us to hold our hands open knowing that there are a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, and it was it's not certainty in who God is and how he works. It's, it's certainty that he is and that Jesus is who he said he was. Yes. Uh, and things like that. Uh, and even then, certainty is probably the wrong word, but just, just a, a confidence. Yeah. Um, and so finally, through, you know, mostly just through through scripture reading and, and that uh, just that they don't, uh, they don't say if I'm right, you know, they don't, they never phrase it like that. People, and when I say they, I mean, you know, Peter, Paul, right. Biblical Jesus, authors. Yeah. Jesus, biblical yeah. authors. Um, it is just, this is the way this it is. is. Yeah. And I really hope that you consider it this way. And so what I'm not trying, I'm not trying to say that you can, I, I, I am saying the tact is important. So not just be like, well, if you don't believe what I believe you're wrong. Um, but just carrying yourself that way, not being afraid to say, that I that that you believe that what you say is more true than what other people are saying, you know, and and that that is not, uh, I guess I don't know if politically correct is the term there, but that's that's not cool. Yeah, it's deemed inappropriate. Right, but I would say that you are allowed to do that scripturally on certain things. There are things we know and things we don't know. Yeah. So, um, Paul, you know would go to blows over people distorting the gospel and making it say something it didn't say. Hmm. And so there were sacred truths, truths that are so crystal clear, so fundamental to who God is and how the, how his relationship with human beings works and what salvation is like and what God asks of us, you know, all of that. There are some fixed items that Paul would say, these are foundational to, to understanding God. And so I won't budge an inch. Yeah. And there are others that um, that there are principles that guide you that are not hard and fast uh, fixed items. Yeah. So um, it's important to distinguish between those. Well, and so this is this is sort of the the crux of the issue is that you're supposed to keep an open mind. Yeah. And I'm saying you're supposed to, and they, and these these are just sort of the the tones, the atmosphere of the culture we live in. Exactly. And uh, so if, if you're looking for hard data, I don't have that. 80% of people think you should do this. Right. Just, just general Well, 73% sense. of statistics are made up on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the joke segment. Okay. <laughs> um, but that you're supposed to keep an open mind. And I think that, well, for me, it was the epiphany that there are certain things where I can say, I'm not going to consider that. Like certain things like the divinity of, of Jesus and, and uh, propitiation and, and salvation. And things where if someone were to say, well, what about reincarnation and Jesus? I would, I can just say no. You know? Because for you, it's a fixed item. That's exactly. like the sun rises into the east and sets in the west. Exactly. This is not, this is the way it is. This right. is the way the world is made. And so I've let us down a little bit of a tangent, but this is, 
this is foundational to the art to not the argument, the, uh, the topic of today, because, um, this sort of, st- of choosing your stance, uh, creates a type of us and them, even if, uh, and not in, in a negative way. Yeah, even, if, even if you don't want it to, exactly. it by virtue does. Exactly. And back to biblical authors, they never deny that sort of, um, reality of the situation right where where um there is kind of a line in the sand yeah and so uh yeah then then it became this way where how much of what people who believe these truths that i believe in are not so how much of their wisdom is of value to me so that's the question we want to focus on yeah I think there's also a tangential question that maybe for one of these other podcasts, because we're going to go deep in this, but we want to stay focused on each conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lost my thought about where that was going. Cause you, you, when you, when you were teeing that up, it made me, it made me think of something a little bit um, different, but the conversation today is because they see the world fundamentally different than me, mm-hmm. different than I think God sees it or describes it biblically do they have something to offer me in my life? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Or, um, <clears throat> basically that's basically it. I have the, 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 the reason I, the reason this is a value to me is because when I know a person is not a Christ follower, I have the tendency to view all of their actions in a different light. So even say they have, say they have, um, an education in, um, economics. Okay. And I know next to nothing about economics. This isn't just an example. This is the truth. I don't, I don't know much. And um, so then, so then, say they bring up uh, a really strong case for anything for um, you know socialized healthcare, which I don't necessarily have a huge stance on in the first place. But how much of that do I let in? To do I do I soak up? You know, as right. just, you know. Yeah. So. Um... This is a, it's a, it's a big conversation and it's going to, it's going to feather into lots of categories. So, because each example will bring some nuance to the kind of thing you're talking about. So in, in this case, for example, you're a big Dave Ramsey fan. Dave Mm. Ramsey is a Christ follower. Would you be wise to listen to a money expert who isn't a Christ follower? Are we on the same page here with what you're asking? Yeah, that's, this is actually a great example. So, uh, I might not. I might not discredit the other person, but because Dave Ramsey talks about tithing and no, no sponsorship, by the way, right? With, uh, this uh, is not an ad for him and we're not getting paid. Exactly. But, uh, with, with tithing and giving and the reason he states for gaining that wealth to, to mm-hmm. give it out more and holding it out with an open hand, that is so at home to me, you know? So if, if the other one is like, uh, even if he's not like a greaseball used car salesman, if he's if he's still like a nice guy, but doesn't necessarily talk about tithing and giving, um, it's it. The question is in the back of my mind of of his stance on these things, I guess. Yeah, and, and is the other guy going to be talking about how to accumulate massive amounts of wealth for yourself, right? Versus having a biblical view about stewardship about wealth that money's not mine. It's not that God gets the first ten percent; He actually owns it all, and I'm a steward. Mm-hmm. So if they view it that way, biblically, they're going to give you a certain kind of advice. And if they view it otherwise, they they might give you different advice. By the way, I mentioned this, and I, I'm going to probably regret saying this, but... Well, that's, that's uh, good. Dave Ramsey uh, actually encourages people to practice non-biblical tithing at their entry level of giving. 
So he says, if you don't give it all, don't start with 10% because that's such a radical budget adjustment. Hmm. Start with two or 3%. And then every six months or a year, add another percent, which makes you still biblically non-compliant until you finally hit the 10%. Yeah. And I can't in good conscience give that advice because the scriptures teach tithing as a part of God's economic plan. And God um, actually engages on your behalf in the, in the economy mm-hmm. when you tithe. Your car breaks down less. Your clothes last longer. You know, he, he sees to it that your dollar goes further. Right. But if you give 7%, that's not part of his plan. Right. You're not being obedient in that sense. You're, you're trying exactly. to get a B, so, a B minus on your, your tithe grade. Yeah. So I'm not picking on Dave. I'm saying that even Christians sometimes have a view about something that might not be completely biblically aligned. Sure. So it's more to look at it this way, I guess. It's, it's if I believe uh, that all of my, all of human experience should be viewed through one lens and another person said that that lens is is hokum mm-hmm. there's a lot of what what is hokum mm-hmm. you always do this to me you introduce a word <laughs> that i don't know what it means what is hokum i can't always do it we, we have a lot of conversations i feel like i'd run out of words to surprise you with i i you know i don't have a big brain john so I don't know. Maybe it's a Yiddish word. What is what is chutzpah? You know what is what is a so what is a mensch? There's, yeah, there's just a bunch of words. So you know the word from context, not from a hardcore that's, definition. That's exactly right. Okay, it's almost like a um, onomatopoeia, where the word just has so much feeling. It's just dripping with uh, <laughs> with character. You know. Yeah. Uh, so use hokum in a sentence again, because I want to. Now I've lost where you how you used it. <laughs> I want to learn this word. This this onomatopoeia equivalent word. Yeah. So use hokum in a sentence. People may think that the Christian faith is hokum. Oh, hogwash. Yes. Okay. And when... Bogus. Yeah. So you, you've you said this phrase once uh, pretty recently, probably in the last year, and I really latched onto it, and it's that uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Yeah, that's a proverb. Yeah. And... and I didn't uh, mean that you wrote it. That's not me. <laughs> I should have phrased it better. You quoted this recently. I quoted it. Um, I do believe that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. So for me, even if you're incredibly, if your credentials are, are incredible and you seem to be, you have lots of experience, there's a lot of reconciling I have to do with that truth, you know? Yeah. So if you don't fear God, you're not even at the beginning of wisdom. Exactly. That's exactly right. I see. So, um, so this is a, this is a great conversation because you know, you mentioned earlier on the, should I take my car to a non-Christian mechanic? Hmm. And I happen to know some Christian mechanics that aren't very good at the trade. <laughs> and I have, what to are know, their names? No, no. <laughs> and I happen to know some non-Christian mechanics who are incredible geniuses with the engine. Right. So, um, I don't see any reason, um, I wouldn't to, to have a rule about this. If I have a Christian mechanic and I want to uh, further the kingdom of God, I know that guy's going to be generous back to God's work with his income. I can bless a brother or sister. Sure. You know, that's a different conversation. But Well, I guess, so what I, what I meant by those two examples are the, maybe the potential difference between knowledge and wisdom. So a secular mechanic has a very... Um, non-biased knowledge. It's right. it's just factual. It's just, it's it's like knowing history. Yep, yep. Um, that's not even that objective in times, but uh, 
as opposed to something like a counselor yeah. or a therapist. Though, and so that's that's more the wisdom or the opinions on the soul. Mm-hmm. So, I guess so. If I if I'm watching like a, a TED talk, and a guy goes into relationships, and that's and a these, great example. These are the core truths of a good friendship. And uh, he's an outspoken atheist. What what would you say I can glean from that? Can I can I um, really internalize those if well, they seemingly yeah. don't have anything wrong? So with them? what what will end up happening probably in this conversation is we'll end up with some planks of truth that together build a foundation to stand on as you navigate these questions. Mm-hmm. And one of those planks is that all truth comes from God. So if mm-hmm. a guy doesn't believe in God, he rejects the notion of a sovereign God. But he has a grasp on something that's actually true. Sure. That truth came from God. He doesn't acknowledge that, but that's where it came from. Mm. So there's no truth out there that's going to be offensive to God because he's the author of all truth. So um, the simple way to say that is all truth is God's truth. Mm. So someone might take it and not give God credit for it, but it's God's truth. So if if this person, let's say you're in the middle of a conflict with a friend or a work associate, or there's a place where you've got some conflict, you might find a person who has no belief in God whatsoever, but they are experts at conflict management and conflict resolution. They've studied the science of it. They've mm. studied how the human brain and, and how your body chemically reacts to conflict. For example, the fight or flight syndrome. It's science that when you start to feel anxious or intimidated or angry, your blood flow changes its targets, your body starts producing adrenaline, and actually your brain gets sabotaged on how to do this well because the resources in your body are moving toward preparing you to either fight or run. Right, and these are all facts. That's facts. That's that's biology. And so if there's a person who doesn't know Jesus, but he knows that, That truth came from Jesus. Like God made our body this way. So even though he doesn't acknowledge God, that truth he has is legitimate truth. The question is, when do we, how do, when do we cross the line where he does, where he has theories now or where his truths are contradictory to God's truths? Sure. But that first plank of this platform we want to build is that if it's true, it came from God and it doesn't matter who's saying it, it came from God. Well then, what a, what about stuff where um, the the absolute truth is not immediately apparent? So in things that um, maybe aren't ethical, but are or not they are they are non ethical. You know, what I'm saying? they're not a- moral ethical. Exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. They're amoral. Yeah, I feel like you know, like in a TV show where a character is mute and they're trying to get something, someone says, and they 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 understand what they're saying, and the person's so excited. I feel like I have such a hard time communicating that every time you grasp exactly what I'm saying, I, I want to throw a party <laughs> because I'm talking myself in circles so often. Um, but right. So for, for non-ethical questions or, or things, so just like, um, like a lot of politics where, uh, or, and a lot of those are ethical, uh, but so like immigration and even Christians fall on either, either side of this thing. Yeah. Um, where it's less murky like that. Do you have, do you have advice there? Yeah. I think that, um, well, first of all, I think that the that the the second plank I would lay down on this conversation is mm-hmm. humility. Um, that I I need to always bear in mind I've got three pounds of brain. I have my own context that I've been through, my own education, my own family of origin, um, you know, 
And so uh, there's a whole lot I don't know. And there are people who are smarter than me who agree with me. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are smarter than me who disagree with me. So I need to have a humility about what I believe. People who say I'm right, um, everybody else is wrong, they scare me. Sure. There are a couple of things that I know to be true. I know that God made the heavens and the earth. I know that Christ is the son of God and that he came to redeem us and woo us back to God, that he's on a rescue mission, not a condemnation mission. These things are really important. These are, these are things I know, mm-hmm. but there's a whole lot of things I don't know. And so um, when you're talking about amoral truth or uh, non-ethical impact, um, there's room for a range of views. So, for example, the idea of poverty. Um, I am white, middle class. Uh, my dad, my family was very poor when I was born, but by the time I was in the third grade, we were upper middle class, middle class probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad ended up becoming fairly affluent. So, um, what do I know about poverty? Not a lot. Mm-hmm. And even though I love God and the scriptures call me to concern myself with poverty, to uh, make an effort in God's name to express his heart towards the poor, there are some things I don't know about poverty that someone who doesn't know God at all, but who grew up in poverty, particularly if they, if they were a minority in poverty, they can help me understand the complexities of poverty far better than a white Christian wealthy man could. Sure. So... I need to have humility about that. Mm-hmm. One of the things, this is important to me because I care about poverty. And, and when you start thinking about poverty, uh, you realize how much of the scriptures call us to care about the quartet of the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the alien. Mm. It's all through the scriptures, just this call that God's people should be leading the way in speaking up for those who have no voice and moving toward those who are experiencing poverty. Yeah. But I don't understand poverty. I've never experienced it. And when I started studying poverty and asking people, Christian and non-Christian, to explain poverty to me, I realized that I viewed poverty as purely economic. But the truth is, poverty is a poverty of voice. It's a poverty of education. It's a poverty of opportunities. Hmm. It's a poverty of nutrition sometimes. And when you are malnourished as a little child, there become mental intellectual um, limits that are placed on you biologically that can't be fixed. This whole crazy thing about poverty. Mm -hmm. Well, I need to learn about that. And I need to learn about that from anybody who understands it. Sure. That's good stuff. Matthew 25. So I I was thinking about this. I pulled it up on my iPad before we started because for some reason that passage popped in my head. And, um, you know, Jesus says in there, um, he separates people as the sheep from the goats. And he says to those on his, on his left, the goats, you know, uh, away with you for, I was sick and you did not visit me. I was in prison. You did not attend to my needs. I was, uh, you know, poor and you did not care for me. And then what I you was did, hungry and you did not feed what me. What you did to the least of these you did for me. Exactly. Yeah. And so I had this thought pop in my head. If I were to get my Christian friends in a chair one at a time and ask them, Who have you visited in the hospital? Who have you visited in prison? Who did you clothe? Who did you feed? For most of us, the answer is going to be, well, nobody. Mm -hmm. I gave to the church and boy, the church ought to be 
leveraging resources toward the poor. We're drifting off subject here, but just this is all on this idea of humility, that while we love God with all of our hearts, and while we're trying to understand the scriptures, which were written over a span of hundreds of years mm-hmm. in radically different cultures than ours, and we're trying to understand that that literature, the Word of God, in today's culture, there's so much room for us to not get it exactly right. So there needs to be this overwhelming humility that says, I'm just trying to find my way to honoring God, honoring His Word, and I'm not the end-all, be-all. That's why... This blanket thought that I should only get my advice from Christians and I should only consider Christians to be wise Mm -hmm. because they fear God. I'm going to miss out on tons of powerful truth because there are people who do not fear God, who know things I do not know. Yeah. So I guess what gives me pause there is uh, not not in that the humility plank. I think that's amazing. That's that's really, really good. Um, But when... Uh, I've seen the sentiment, especially, and I definitely don't even want to go anywhere near this, but with, with pride month going on, mm-hmm. people being, uh, Christians being like, uh, I want to take my, uh, children out and, or, or families out. And I want to experience these things and learn from those who are different than me. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that in itself in a vacuum is not wrong. But when, when you bring in these, uh, moral ethical, uh, quandaries there with what we believe about scripture, right. It, learning from those other than you is is not that easy. It's, it's not that simple. It's not, and 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 it's fraught with landmines. Mm-hmm. So just like there are these Christian knuckleheads from Westboro Baptist who protest at military funerals. Okay, mm-hmm. these guys do not represent the heart of God. Period. I'm so nauseated that they that people uh, view them as a representative of Christians, mm-hmm. and I want to scream. They don't represent me. Yeah. That's true in every segment. So when I watch some of the news highlights of the Pride Week, for some of those marchers, it's about everybody has value. Everybody matters. Mm-hmm. For some of them, though, it was an outright orgy fest. They're wanting to flaunt their sexual practice. Just like I would not want a heterosexual parade for me to be, you know, for people to be uh, having sexual activities with each other in the parade. Mm-hmm. I would want them to give me pride without raw, in-your-face sexual expression. Sure. Um, So, you know, there's these landmines. How can I support human beings of all kinds? Because Christ died for all. Yeah. God loved the whole world. That means there is not a person with skin and a brain and a heart, a human being, that God does not love. There isn't Mm -hmm. one. So uh, this this becomes... Except for Esau. (laughs) (laughs) well played john uh now you've just opened a whole can of worms sorry jacob have i loved esau have i hated what in the world does he mean there i didn't even say it just act like i didn't even say well i know but you can't just drop that and walk away that's not a uh i don't know you i I don't know if i would edit that out or not let's leave it i guess but uh that's that's a that's a tangent okay um, <laughs> I just poked a little stick of dynamite and ran away <laughs> and run. Yeah. You just popped the pin, threw it in there and ran away. <laughs> uh, you know, did, who did Christ die for mm-hmm. the whole world? He, he died for these people. Yeah. So, uh, so how can I love all human beings and yet not endorse a non-biblical sexual ethic? Sure. As that example. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm. Yeah. yeah. 
And so that becomes touchy. What you find in the person of Jesus is that he's accused constantly by the religious people of embracing a non-biblical ethic Hmm. because he's loving prostitutes. He's letting that woman wash his feet with her hair. And, and they said in their mind, if he knew where she's been with that body of hers, he would not let her touch him. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking this woman has a messy, broken life, but her heart is hungry to know God and God's heart is hungry to know her. That's all he cared about. Sure. So you have these people who are messy, who have lifestyles that the scriptures would not endorse, and they love being around Jesus. I wonder, why is it that people with broken, shattered lives aren't begging for Christians to be around them? Why is it they feel judged by us and rejected by us instead of, uh, instead of embraced and walked toward God with us? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> something there we're missing And I think that touches on this question you're asking. So there's this tension. I have to uh, love everyone. I want to be in relationship with anyone who's open to a, to an honest relationship. Mm -hmm. And yet I cannot practice, endorse, or uh, resource a biblically violating activity. Right. Yeah. I don't... That sounds like a whole other episode to me because I don't have the slightest on that one. Well, that's another episode because you're, the question that emerges out of that is, should I go to a gay wedding? Right. You know, we had we had the in the simplest terms, you know, the 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 court case that kicked all this off was the baker who did not want to bake a wedding cake for mm-hmm. a gay for a gay wedding, and he went all the way to the Supreme Court because his cakes are art, and that makes it an expression, a speech. And so he said, I have the freedom of speech to create speech with my cakes that match what I want to say. And well, I the, don't want to say that. We actually, I had, uh, it was a privilege. We had the woman who was representing him to the Supreme Court speak at a, a class that I was in on media law at Northwest. That's very interesting. And uh, it's technically constitutional, constitutionally illegal to uh, legally compel speech right. to make somebody say right. something. And because of his art was speech, uh, they could not compel him to... And see, I can see that on both sides. My impulse was when all that was going on, and I had not thought of the art angle at that point um, and the speech angle. But my cry of my heart was, don't just bake a cake for their wedding. Make it the best cake you've ever baked in your life. Hmm. Show them that you do what you do for the glory of God. And producing the best cakes on earth is one of the ways you bring glory to God. Yeah. And so my, you know, my impulse on that was not only do you bake the cake, you make it amazing because that reflects Jesus in you. But to say, I will not support you. And I, again, this is a complicated question. This is one of those where there is not a crystal clear line. Jesus first miracle is at a wedding where he turns water into wine and he doesn't turn it into non-alcoholic grape juice. <laughs> Because the host of the party, when so he tasted really it, good wine. he said, dude, usually people serve this first. And then when people have had too much to drink, they bring out the cheap stuff. You have saved the best stuff till last. This was the real deal wine. What in the world is Jesus doing there? Right? Yeah. But I would say with this example, that might be not only an endorsement of the of the practice in the wedding. It would be... Um, misleading 
So say someone sees that and be like, oh, so Christian, so it's okay. party on bar. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I can be a Christian and, and endorse homosexuality. So it's all being uh, a creator there for him being, a, being that artist. And then eventually he didn't know this at the time, I'm sure, but being on the, the international stage, um, I don't know if it is that simple that he should have just made an amazing cake. Yeah. Again, it comes down to that compass of what, what you're going to navigate with there. For me, I think what, um, what I, you know, I was, I was sitting in a, I was sitting in a, um, corporate training event and they were talking about vision statements and they were going through these corporate vision statements, putting them on the screen one at a time. And all of a sudden the Salvation Army's one was up there and it said, it said to, um, to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ to all human beings without discrimination. Hmm. And I couldn't, I stopped seeing the rest of the slides. I couldn't stop thinking about that one to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ to all human beings without discrimination. That's why I would have baked the cake. If they said, Hey, you made the cake. We'd like to invite you to the wedding. I might say, man, I'm sorry. I can't come to the wedding, but please enjoy the cake. Uh, because that's where I might say, okay, I'm not going to go and and be there. That would again be, come down to personal conviction. Mm-hmm. But I want to love all human beings without discrimination, and uh, that's where it gets fuzzy. But we've gone way off course here because the real question is, can I learn from these people? Well, that is the real question. I don't know because that that's a huge part on making sure that you are viewing uh, Christians and non Christians. Exactly the same. I had this thought uh, preparing for this episode uh, that the just as there might be landmines in the truth of non-Christians, there's a lot of stuff, in, especially in the history of, of Christians, that people believed that are entirely non-biblical and are dangerous, mm-hmm. evil things. The, uh, the guy who um, taught, I forget the, I forget his name, the, the man who led the Azusa Street Revival in uh LA that mm-hmm. became the mm-hmm. Assemblies of God and the um yeah. uh it's it's counterpart which I forget that name too. Uh but his mentor was a, a terrible racist. He didn't believe in in co-racial worshiping. Right. right. And uh, it eventually led to him completely denouncing the Azusa movement. Wow. And uh and I believe that that guy's in heaven right now, you know, hanging out with with every other saint that ever lived. Well, if you have to get every question right to, you know, the thing is entrance into heaven is not a, uh, is not a knowledge exam. It's right. a blood test. Are you in the family? Has the blood hmm. of Jesus, Jesus washed you clean? Are you part of the family? We all have things we're not right about. Yeah. Hate is, hate is a different thing. That scares me, you know? Sure. That could be, yeah, that could mean that he didn't fully understand what, the, his own redemption right. and what he had been forgiven. Right. Yeah. Um, so when I think about uh, your question, you know, you mentioned earlier marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. If my marriage is in trouble, should I consider a counselor who's not a Christian? Or if I'm just, I'm stuck, I keep getting stuck Yeah. in my own life. I hit these walls of intimidation. I keep having, I keep creating the same problem over and over and over. And I used to think it was everybody else's fault, but now I see a pattern in my life. I've left this trail of this kind of episode over and over and over in my life. Something's broken me, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I have an acquaintance. I, I, I like him, but I don't know that he would call me his friend. We don't know each other well <laughs> enough for that. Okay. But I have this acquaintance who's a pastor who um, uh, 
who uh, had a moral failure. Hmm. And he did not, um, and he says this, I don't have no reason to doubt him. He says he did not sleep with her, but he had done a lot of um, sexual communication with her on media. And he had a passionate kiss with her, one passionate kiss, okay? And his whole world blew up hmm. because he immediately confessed. But man, the things he had done on social media with her, private messaging and all that. Anyway, he she was a certain age with a certain age of children. And in his therapy of finding his way to figure out what went wrong in him, Mm -hmm. that he would violate everything he believes about God's word, everything he believed about his wedding vows, everything he believed about sexual purity with God. How could he so violate these things in him Mm -hmm. with this woman? And this was fascinating to me, him telling this story. He told this publicly, I'm not betraying him. He said that one of the insights that the counselor helped him understand is that he had been abandoned by his mother at a certain age. He was still in a stroller. And what he the, the kind of woman who's tempting to him is a woman who has kids in strollers who's in that age category. Sure. And that there is this uh, DNA connection in his head. I want to win the woman back who abandoned me. I want to be loved by the one who rejected me. And that is a thought, okay, that that many of us Christians would never have thought of. Right, without the help of... With a, with a counselor, right? whether that counselor is Christian or non-Christian, what it did for my, for this guy is it helped him understand part of his uh, compulsion. Well, and he might not have realized how, how still hurt he was by that. He might've thought he was still, right. he was over it by then. And that something. his, that his, that his uh, abandonment and his need for love from his mother had become sexualized, which is not abnormal for the human psyche to do that. Right. So I guess my my concern then isn't with the diagnosis so much because that is back to that factual that's that's working on cars, you know. Yeah. It is with the advice. So and this is again anecdotal. I have no experience in this. But the scene that I have in my head is uh a couple having problems and the psychiatrist rightly says you would be in a better mental state out of this relationship. Mhm. Where that would also be true if they worked through their problems and, and prospered in their relationship. Side, right. But it's that psychiatrist's duty to help the person with their mental health. And they have the knowledge that they have about the human brain. And they say you would be healthier outside of this relationship and the marriage ends. That, and, that's, the, that's the scene in my head. Yeah. And they have watched enough patterns of human behavior to predict with a pretty high degree of accuracy where this thing's going to go. And it's, it's not going to come out good on and the other side. It's not going to go well. And so the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Um, what the person needs to, the the work they have to do to actually change. You know, mm-hmm. Sue and I were talking about this this morning, that like 70% or 80% of change efforts fail. 80% of people who seek to lose weight don't. Yeah. You know, change is hard. And so this counselor might know your husband, if it's, this is the case, your husband needs to so dramatically and fundamentally change. And he's not got the toolbox for it. And he doesn't have the commitment to it. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you to walk away from this marriage. That's your question. Right. And whereas a uh, a different, a biblical perspective would be that you made a vow before God that you would not give your heart to another until death. So here's my my personal view on this question is that I vowed to sue that I would not give my heart to another woman until she's dead. Mm-hmm. I might separate from her if her behavior is unacceptable. 
I might even divorce her if that became a tool in the toolbox to try to eventually build our marriage. If I needed to do that to protect me and my kids and the finances because she's running up debt, you know, whatever the scenario is, I might even go that far. And this is my vow, not my, I haven't had to try, I haven't been pushed on this. Sure. So with humility, I say, this is my commitment. I hope I could actually live it out. I would not pursue another woman to be my wife until she was dead. I would hold out for that to turn around. I might not live with her, but I think that's what the scriptures would call me to, unless she was unfaithful or abandoned me. Now, those are the two cases biblically where I'm given an out. Yeah. So what I'm saying then is you as a counselor, which you've acted as marriage counselor before, can, for one, has this uh, background of faith informing this, Mm -hmm. this, um, this belief and yeah. this conviction and the counseling training and the counseling yeah. training. So, and if you were with a Christian couple that's seeking counseling, you have this, um, assumed intimacy. I've talked about this before with Christian communities where your, um, base, base foundational level of intimacy with a stranger on the street is zero, uh, or, or get some points for being in the same region as each other, knowing, Hey, we're both in the Pacific Northwest right? in a Christian community it's already started pretty high because you haven't yeah, we assumed start off at a three or four. Exactly. Because you know what each other believe or, or report to believe mm-hmm. about certain things. So you, we uh, have a shared experience, right? Say a practicing secular counselor, a counselor for a non-religious organization who's still a Christian couldn't give that advice with the same back backing, mm-hmm. you know, with the same reasoning because it's not, um, it's not ethical as, well, as a Christian counselor. Yeah. So, I'm going to, I might dig a hole for myself with certain listeners. <laughs> and again, I, I, I say this with humility. I might not be right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm talking to a couple that even claim to be Christians or not, but they come to me because they want biblical counsel. Mm-hmm. I ask them pretty early in the process. Are you willing to save your marriage? And if one or both of them I just say, nodded, no, sorry, I should say, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if one or both of them say no, then I tell them your marriage can't be saved unless you want it to be saved. Sure. So I can sit here and waste a lot of wind and try to persuade them to want to save their marriage. The 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 psychological fact, the sociological fact is if you're done and I have found uh, anecdotally when that that a wife can take a lot of emotional beating. She can take a lot of emotional disappointment a lot of hurt. But when she finally reaches the place where she says, that's it, I'm done. It's almost impossible to get her to change her mind. Hmm. So as a counselor, I would weigh that in and say, well, here's what's in front of you. Um, I think you could, he could win your heart back and there's a biblical path for that. And if he's willing to do it and you're willing to be open to it, give it some time and see. Yeah. But I'm also um, professional enough to say, if you both want it over, why are we having this conversation? Because so, it's over. So you two in that moment are dealing with the strictly logical information that you have, knowing if they aren't willing to to try, it's not going to happen. And I do, yes. And I, But I asked them about their faith. You know, mm-hmm. is your faith informing your decision that you're making? And if you care about God and you care about the glory of God, let me ask you this question. What scenario in your story would bring the most glory to God. 
Well, the answer is not, well, we divorce, we go find new spouses, we have a great rest of the story. No, that would not bring the most glory to God. The most glory to God would be for him to resurrect this thing that's dead right in front of you Mm -hmm. and show his power in the renewal of your hearts, both toward him and to each other. So I try to cast a vision for what God could do and what would bring glory to God. But I also know if they say it's over, it's over. So then this is this is what I'm asking then. Would there be any any time that I should like say cuz you you aren't a uh educated psychologist. Right, I have a concentration in college in psychology. I took uh probably 9 hours of masters I was going to get a masters in marriage and family counseling. I sure. quit after about 9 credits. Hmm. Uh so I have some I know enough to be dangerous. But but all you're saying now is really resonating with me. This sounds like if I were ever in trouble with my marriage, I would want to go someone with the same convictions as you. And you, I mean, you, you're not, you're not, um, illiterate on the subject. So as opposed to someone who has a doctorate in psychology and is a practicing more or less decorated, um, counselor. Mm -hmm. So am I, am I right in that? Yes. Um, with an asterisk. Hmm. So I have, I know a guy who is a, Jesus loving PhD level counselor. Hmm. And um, I have asked him because I encounter um, a man or a woman many times in my life. I've encountered a man or a woman who say I had, I had an affair and my spouse does not know it was 10 years ago. Should I tell them? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I asked my friend because I wanted to know what a PhD counselor would say to that. Sure. Who's a Jesus lover. Right. And he said, absolutely not. Wow. And I was blown away by the answer. Yeah. And my mind went to James chapter one. If any, if uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And I believe there are levels of healing that cannot come without confession. Without crossing that threshold. Right. And so, uh, but his, his statement was your marriage is already hard. And if this comes out, it's going to, it could push it over the edge of not being salvageable. So for the so he's purely pragmatic in this, that if you want to give your marriage a chance, I would hold that card in my pocket because it's only going to make this harder. Hmm. And so, so you know, do I agree with him? I don't because I want to trust in the supernatural power of God that if I confess, we actually have a pathway to a whole new deeper level of connection, authenticity, and transparency in the future that we don't share now mm-hmm. because a secret is always between us, even though she doesn't know it. Right. So that there you go with a conflicting idea from a Christian counselor. Right. And is he right or am I right? I don't, I don't know. I, so um, at the end of the day, this kind of tracks back to that personal responsibility. Let's say, John, you get advice from someone and they're not a Christian and you get advice from a Christian. At the end of the day, the one who's responsible to obey God is you. Hmm. So whatever advice you get needs to be informed by your own faith. And you need to do some diligence in your own understanding of the scriptures and the own, your own understanding of how God operates. And you're responsible to uh, embrace or reject the counsel given to you. Uh, you know how much I love responsibility. <laughs> um, yeah, do you, have a, uh, do you have a third plank i i'm i'm comfortable with a two-point message it doesn't have to be three and those two already talk about takeaways 
those are already hugely helpful to me. The yeah. uh, the all truth is from God if it, if it is true, mm-hmm. and the approaching it from a place of humility instead of a place of um, uh, aggression or or uh, right. arrogance. Right. So I want to give one more plank, okay. but after our commercial break. Okay. So let's <laughs> talk about our commercial break, and I want to talk about Patreon for a second mm-hmm. um, because I want to make sure people understand. We have these levels. Uh, Patreon is a crowdsource funding tool we use, and our goal is to raise some monthly support so that we can do what we do further faster. We really have hope that these podcasts and the books we're going to write and the blogs, that they will help people who are maybe stuck in their faith or exploring faith kind of punch through to another level. Mm-hmm. We think it's going to add value to people's lives, and sure. it's our hope to be able to produce even more content. And to do that, we need uh, a level of financial support that empowers you, particularly, to reduce your workload in the marketplace so that you can devote more time to this. Mm-hmm. And we can actually get books edited faster, written faster, etc. So while there's levels of support on Patreon, you know, you can start as low as a dollar and you can go as high as you want to. Um, we want to make sure that you understand there's uh, rewards for certain levels of giving. But the bottom line is you're not getting a value for your dollar. Sure. You know, you're not buying a product equal to the dollar you're giving. What you're doing is becoming partners with us in this mission together. And so we do appreciate if you consider joining us on this mission and helping it go further, faster through Patreon. Yeah. What else can they do to support us, John? The subscribe. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if you don't have a dollar to give, which that there's that, no problem there. There's no problem there at all. If you want to just uh, hit the subscribe button on this, stop what you're doing right now unless you're driving. Uh, hit that button. That helps us out a ton. Give us uh, a rating on your podcast uh, deal. You know, yeah. if, you, if you like us, give us a star rating. Maybe write a review. Yeah, just and uh, uh, word of mouth is huge. If you have people you that you think could benefit from this, just letting them know we exist. Yeah, pass us on to a friend, and then also send us comments, questions. You can email us at info at jimandjohn dot com. No H in the John. Info at jimandjohn dot com. Send us uh, an encouraging encouraging word. Send us a a topic you'd love for us to discuss. Um, you know, just be partners with us, whether that's financially or not, you know, join with us on this mission because we believe there might be something God has in his mind for all of this. That's awesome. Okay. The third plank. So the third plank is, um, that believers in Christ, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives him wisdom without favoritism, but let him believe Mm -hmm. and not doubt in his heart. Because when you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. And so uh, one of the challenges, one of the landmines of people who do not fear God is that you can embrace a piece of advice, a piece of counsel, a view of the world that is not biblical. And it's really important that you put one allegiance at the very front of your life. And that allegiance is, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I submit to the authority of his word. And here's the thing. I don't think you will ever regret that. So there needs to be a little bit of awareness that the person I'm getting this feedback from has not a belief in God. Sure. I know lots of marriages where the wife has been hurt. She's been wounded and her friends tell her, leave that bum, get out of that marriage as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. And they're not thinking from a biblical compass. They're trying to protect her like a mother would her own daughter. And they're trying to get her to avoid any more pain, Mm -hmm. but their counsel is not good. It's not whole. So uh, I think that when you do 
um, hear the discussion. One of the questions we're going to answer in a future podcast is, can a Christian believe in evolution? Mm. Science is a great example of this. And so uh, it's really important to have not disrespect, not um, um, criminal suspicion, like <laughs> malice, like you, you fear malice from the non-believer, uh, but that you be alert that they do not share a fundamental belief that you share. Sure. That all truth comes from God, that God is in the middle of my situation, and that the miraculous is possible. Just by virtue of removing the miraculous from the conversation, you eliminate you're something God whole, might want to do. You're dealing with a whole different reality it's that they whole, are yes. just by viewing it that way. Exactly. So, man, hold on to a supernatural God who wants to insert himself in your life. If a counselor, if Abraham told a counselor, God just told me to take my son up on a mountain and kill him, <laughs> that counselor would say, I'm calling the police. There's no way that's God. You're going crazy. Mm-hmm. And yet God did that. And there's going to be times when God prompts you to do something that makes no sense to people who don't understand God. So make room for that and and hold that, that possibility of the supernatural uh, as part of your plank. Like, I'm going to be humble. I know that if it's true, it came from God. And I know that God is in the middle of this story right now. And he might lead me in a way that's counterintuitive. He might do a miracle. He might ask me to stand for something that everybody else says is impossible. Because God does the impossible. That's that'll preach. That's a, I, <laughs> I say think, this, yeah. I say this every time. That's yeah. an ebook. Well, all right. So we've gone a long podcast this time. Yeah, John. this We're is, a, this is a record. So, uh, man, we just want to say thanks for listening. Do you have a takeaway from this, John? One, I've, one. I think your three points are my basic takeaway. It's mm-hmm. been really good. Uh, my realization again about uh, how there are there's even hit or misses within the fold. Of of Christ followers, of faith, yeah, because uh, humans are just kind of kind of busted. Yeah. Um, but mostly, because uh, I think back to the very beginning, tangent was going from humility over over humility and not willing to uh, so claim this the truth. Is true, right? Uh, besides that, I don't think I have issues with the humility so much. So the first one that all truth is from God, um, that that's extraordinarily helpful to me. If I had to pick a takeaway, that would be the the one that I'm going to try and. That's good. Hold on to tight. That's good. Well, hey, thanks for listening today. Um, Hope you'll uh, stay tuned and and check out the blog, the website. Yeah, jimandjohn.com. No H and John. Yep. And we got an Instagram account at uh, Jim and John. Mm -hmm. We have a Twitter at Jim and John one. And man, we'd love to hear from you. So have a great day. We'll talk to you next time. 